Brake Fix's History of Motorsports series is brought to you in part by the International Motor Racing Research Center, as well as the Society of Automotive Historians, the Watkins Glen Area Chamber of Commerce, and the Argetsinger family. The history of racing in Watkins Glen is long and colorful. It's a story of one man's desire to race his MG on the streets and county roads surrounding the small village and the obstacles he had to overcome to make that dream a reality. What happened on the streets here October 2nd, 1948, forever changed the face of racing in the United States. And 75 years later, we are still eternally grateful to the drive and vision of Cameron Argetsing. But there is another story, certainly not as well known as that of racing, but one that forever changed a segment of the automobile industry. And that also happened on the small village of Watkins Glen. The following are excerpts from a document titled The Corvette Story, written by Nick Ferboni, former owner of Glen Chevrolet here in Watkins Glen, and on file at the Research Center. In July 1951, Mr. Ferboni received a letter from Harley J. Earl, chief stylist of General Motors, an automotive visionary, and the man who was the team leader of the largest industrial company in the world based on design and technology. Earl was planning on coming to Watkins Glen for the sports car races in 1951, accompanied by a GM engineer and photographer. He would be driving a radical new show car, the LeSabre. He needed a place to store it, and what better place than Glen Chevrolet? The LeSabre was one of the most influential concept cars of the 1950s. It had aircraft-inspired design elements such as the wraparound windshield and tail fins, which became commonplace on cars designed during that decade. It had a body made of aluminum, magnesium, and fiberglass, and was powered by a supercharged 215 cubic inch aluminum block V8, able to run on gasoline or methanol. The car also featured GM's first rear-mounted automatic transmission. Other advances included a 12-volt electrical system instead of the usual 6-volt used at the time, heated seats, electric headlights, which were concealed behind the center jet intake, a water sensor to activate the power top, and electric lifting jacks integrated into the chassis to aid in tire changes. It was GM's first use of the LeSabre name, which would later be adopted by Buick. And like all of Earl's cars, it was built to be roadworthy and instead became Earl's daily driver for a period of two years after he finished on the show circuit. The car and the man were both hugely popular in the village that weekend. Mr. Ferboni states, this was the first time I had met Harley Earl, and he impressed me very much. He had an outstanding personality, so easy to talk to, that he made you feel as though you had known him for a long time. Ferboni took Earl to the Townhouse Hotel Grog Shop, which was a haven for race car enthusiasts. Earl's stature and relaxed personality made him popular with everyone he met. They were also hosted by Warren Clute Jr. and his wife. The night before the race, they went to the Argetsinger home where he met more members of the racing community. The car did not get the universal acclaim. Some of the car's detractors actually just claimed the car was just simply too big. Mr. Earl made the rounds that weekend in Watkins Glen, met lots of different people, and universally impressed everyone. The day before the race, arrangements were made to have Earl drive the Sabre in the Concord d'Elegance Parade from the courthouse to 4th Street. The parade consisted of foreign sports and racing cars, and Earl was greatly surprised by the enthusiastic reaction the cars received from the crowd, mentioning on more than one occasion that the American automobile industry was certainly lacking a sports car similar to the European models that he saw. 
On the day of the race itself, Furboni and Earl watched the race from the porch of Furboni's friends, the Woodwards, which was just a short distance down from the start-finish line. Once again, Earl was amazed at the great amount of enthusiasm of fans. He was amazed at the turnout of fans. Crowd estimates for 1951 were somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 people in the small village of Watkins Glen. And the extent of their enthusiasm for all of these foreign cars. On more than one occasion, again, he remarked that America was certainly missing these types of cars. And Nick writes in his piece that although he never said it at the time, he certainly thought it gave him the idea of designing one. His inner wheels were turning, as Nick says. So for those who wondered what those races looked like, they were still running through the streets in 1951. There were only three races run in 1951. The Seneca Cup was eight laps. The Queen Catherine Cup was also eight laps. And the featured race itself, the Grand Prix, was 15 laps. Now, that may not sound like a lot of laps, but keep in mind, they were still running on the 6.6-mile road course. The start-finish line was literally right in front of the courthouse, and it ran a big circle around the state park at an average speed of 77.65 miles per hour. Starting positions for each race were determined by a drawing from a hat. There was actually no qualifying procedures at that time. Several days after Mr. Earl left, Nick received a very nice thank you letter, and the friendship between the two gentlemen was solidified. In the summer of 1953, when Nick learned that Chevrolet was actually building the Corvette, he reached out to the Buffalo Zone office about having a car in Watkins Glen. He was told that only four had been made up to that point, and none had been allocated to a small Chevy dealership in a rural upstate New York village. While the Buffalo Zone office were not helpful, they did authorize him to deal directly with Chevrolet Promotions Department in Detroit. Convinced that the idea for the car had been inspired by Harley's visit in 1951, Ferboni flew to Detroit, where he met with the promotion staff. Now, the promotion staff did not really know much about Watkins Glen and did not have many ideas about Earl's visit two years earlier. But with the same tenacity that Cameron Argetsinger showed in 1948, Nick went directly to Earl's office in the GM building. Mr. Earl was not there at the time, but the administrative assistant who had actually accompanied him during that memorable 1951 weekend remembered him. Call was made to promotions that Harley Earl's office had approved releasing a Corvette to Watkins Glen Chevrolet, Inc. Car arrived by van a few days prior to the 1953 race, and like the LeSabre two years earlier, drew a great crowd to the dealership. Also like the LeSabre, it also was at the head of the Concord d'Elegance Parade a day prior to the race itself. So in case you might be thinking that this whole story is just urban or more appropriately rural legend, there is an actual recording that Harley Earl made with Detroit journalist Stanley Brams in 1954, where he states, I ran the LeSabre as part of a sports car race in Watkins Glen, and that's where I got the idea for the Corvette. So while I don't think GM has ever actually come out with a memo stating that there is documented proof that Harley got the inspiration for the Corvette when he was here in 1951. Since the arrival of the Corvette, the car has been an integral part of the racing scene at the Glen. The Corvette has been used in the driver parades for the Grand Prix here. So all of this leads up to the brand new Corvette E-Ray, yet to be built, but it will be going into manufacture a little bit later this summer. And this will be the center's sweepstakes car for this year. This is the first hybrid Corvette ever made. It's the fastest Corvette on the market, 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds, 495 horsepower mid-engine motor, and 160 horsepower electric motor in the front, four-wheel drive, spectacular car, 
we anticipate having ours very shortly after the build actually begins. This whole history of the Corvette is actually leading up to two very special events that we're going to have in Watkins Glen. It's the first annual Corvette Festival, a large Corvette show down at Clute Park, the legacy of Harley J. Earl, keynote address, which will be given by Richard Earl, grandson and historian of Mr. Earl. We'll show the film 25 Years at Speed, the Watkins Glen story at the Glen Theater, and then Corvettes will be given an escorted tour of the original street circuit. And that will be leading up to our vintage weekend. The festival itself is a day-long celebration and honoring of the early days of racing through the village. Corvette, of course, will be the featured mark for this year. There will be a special display of Corvette race cars from different eras, tying together the 75 years of racing at the Glen and the fact that the Corvette has been such an integral part of that history for so many years. That weekend is simply the greatest weekend of the year in Watkins Glen. The Friday event downtown is by far the coolest day of the year here. And the fact that we'll be honoring 75 years of racing, 70 years of the Corvette, and it'll be the 30th annual Watkins Glen Vintage Festival, all tied up into one day is very, very special. So vintage weekend at the Glen, don't miss it. This episode is brought to you in part by the International Motor Racing Research Center. Its charter is to collect, share, and preserve the history of motorsports, spanning continents, eras, and race series. The center's collection embodies the speed, drama, and camaraderie of amateur and professional motor racing throughout the world. The center welcomes serious researchers and casual fans alike to share stories of race drivers, race series, and race cars captured on their shelves and walls and brought to life through a regular calendar of public lectures and special events. To learn more about the center, visit www.racingarchives.org. This episode is also brought to you by the Society of Automotive Historians. They encourage research into any aspect of automotive history. The SAH actively supports the compilation and preservation of papers, organizational records, print ephemera and images to safeguard, as well as to broaden and deepen the understanding of motorized, wheeled land transportation through the modern age and into the future. For more information about the SAH, visit www.autohistory.org. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization. And our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.